This morning we will begin the last chapter in Ephesians, chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely without error. Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we come into your presence. Lord, we are grateful for your word. And we are grateful for your spirit who makes your word clear to us. We pray even now, Lord, that by the power of your spirit and your word, we would be changed. We would be brought into a greater and greater knowledge of you, O Lord, of ourselves and of our need for Jesus. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. We continue this morning on a mini-series within the series on the book of Ephesians. A mini-series we started last week called The Theater of the Gospel. Last week we looked at the relationship of husbands and wives and how that gave an opportunity for the gospel to show forth. Next week we will look at our society more broadly, specifically work, and employment. But this week we will look at the broader range of the family, specifically children and parents. And so this morning we will see in these first four verses of chapter 6 that the family itself is a theater for the gospel to be seen by the world at large. And it is also an opportunity for within the family for us to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to find the mercy and grace that comes from our Lord. And so this morning I would like us to see three things after the same pattern that we used last week. First, we will look at the duty of children. Then we will look at the duty of parents. And then finally, we will look at the goal of the family. What God has designed the family for, what his purpose is. Children, parents, and God's goal for the family. Let's begin then by looking at the duty of children. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now I want us to first understand that this text comes to us in a context. As I look out and around... I am pleased to see many young people in our congregation. 
Paul's congregation was similarly suited. For you see, Paul expects children to be a part of the church. He expects children to worship God, to sing His praises, and to hear from Him in His Word. Because you'll notice this. Kids, how does chapter 6 begin? It doesn't begin, moms and dads, make sure you tell your kids. Paul comes right out and he speaks to you. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And you see, this is why we encourage children to be a part of the corporate worship of God at Christ Church. Because God speaks to young people as well as to older people in His Word. And here we have a passage in which He specifically speaks to our young people. Now, this command that comes from God is very straightforward. Some of you are five or six or seven, but you know what? There's no big words in this command. There's no real way to say, I don't understand what God is saying. It's very straightforward. Children... Obey your parents. Even the youngest among us can understand this direct command. It is a general basic principle of life. It doesn't have all of the details. Now you see, this is a real problem for our society. We are a society beset by lawyers upon lawyers upon lawyers. We have laws upon laws upon laws. We have tens of thousands of pages of regulations explaining the laws. And so when we come to a command, it is almost an inherent temptation for us to look for the loophole. We want to hire our own lawyer to say, Okay, Paul, you want me to obey my parents, but what about this situation? What about this other situation? What are all the parameters? Tell me how extreme in obedience I need to be. Tell me where I can stop obeying. That's the place I want to start. But do you notice that God's word never does that? God doesn't start with the loopholes. He doesn't start with how we can avoid the command. God starts with a simple, straight, direct, basic command. It is a general principle that unless we find some explicit provision in Scripture, we should be willing to obey. It's easy to understand, but I know what you're thinking. It's not easy to do. Just because it's easy to understand the words doesn't mean it's easy for me to do. It's easy to obey my parents all the time. But just like last week, Paul is giving us an expression of the family of relationships that show value. It's not just about what we do. This command comes to children because Paul wants them to learn. He wants them to value their parents. And what Paul wants is not just actions. He wants your heart. He wants a voluntary, heartfelt 
obedience. Because what God is ultimately aiming at is to cultivate in each and every one of us from childhood an obedience to Him as our Heavenly Father. And there is a picture of that in the obedience that children render to their parents. Now, what does this mean? I've said it's very straightforward, but let me see if I can give you some parameters around it. The word here that Paul uses, obey, is similar to the word that he used earlier in chapter 5, submit. You may remember that the word submit was putting in place, putting in order. We talked about it like being a part of an army, knowing your place in line, so that there were There was order in relationships. This word here goes a bit further than that. The main root of this word is the word to hear. The word for obey takes the verb to hear and a preposition under and puts them together. And so what we have here is we are to hear under our parents. We are to listen under the authority of our parents. That's the context Of this command. Now, there is no option here. You'll notice, young people, it doesn't say if you feel like it, if all your friends do. It is a plain, present command. It is something that is to be a part of our lives, not just when obedience is asked for, it is to be our way of life each and every day in following the Lord. Now, I know that this is something that each and every child must do and that no one is exempted because the scripture tells me that Jesus obeyed this command. That Jesus obeyed his parents, submitting to his parents in Luke chapter 2 and verse 51. So no matter how hard you try to work that loophole, you will not succeed. You might say, but pastor... You don't know how much more I know than my parents. Now, I don't know. You may know more than your parents, but I will tell you something. You don't know more than Jesus. You may say, but pastor, you don't understand how unreasonable my parents are. Well, I can tell you something. Your parents are not more unreasonable to you than a sinful world was to Jesus in all of his perfection and sinlessness. If Jesus can obey this command, You can obey this command. Now, what this word obey means, we've said, has the connotation of hearing. And so what it means for our young people is, is that you must be consciously and conscientiously listening. Conscientious is a big word, but let me see if I can illustrate it for you. You know how when mom is talking to you and she says, Hey, are you listening to me? Did you hear what I just said? And you say, yeah. And then mom says, repeat back to me what I just said. And then you know you're lost. That's not conscientious. Conscientiously listening means you're making a purposeful way to listen. You are seeking to listen. You want to listen because you know good things will come from listening. That's what it means to obey your parents. Now Paul gives us some information and some context to this command 
by saying that we are to obey our parents in the Lord. Now what this means is that the authority that parents have over children is a God-given authority. God is the creator of the family. He is the one that brings forth life from the womb. He has designed the family to have a system of authority. Even as we saw last week, he has designed marriage to have a system of authority. And within that system, the parental authority that is exercised by mom and dad is that delegated from God. Now this phrase, in the Lord, also gives us an important context for obedience. Obedience has a purpose. Obedience is not a tool to be used. It is an end in itself. The end of obedience is to teach us obedience to the Lord. That's why the book of Proverbs is filled over and over and over again with calls to obey and to hear and to listen to the teaching of your parents. Now Paul gives us a very straightforward reason for this kind of behavior. Do you see it in verse 1? Obey your parents, for this is right. It is the right thing to do. It should not surprise us that virtually every culture and society in the world is built upon the principle of children obeying their parents. And it shouldn't surprise us because the image of God that we have has not been wiped out by sin. It has merely been twisted, warped. We still bear the image of God. And in that image, we see the image of authority and submission and obedience to our Lord. And so it shouldn't surprise us that that carries through all of societies, even ones that do not acknowledge the Lord as their master. God is the one who has established the society of the family. And what Paul is telling us is, you don't need to wonder about what God wants. He wants obedience. There is a second duty that he gives to children. We see it in verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, this second duty is honor, and it is divinely revealed to us. This is not revealed to us through the laws of nature. The fact that we are to honor our parents comes directly from the Word of God, from Exodus chapter 20, the fifth commandment. God, in His divine communication, speaks to His people and tells us we are to honor our fathers and mothers. Now, honor is more than obedience. Because after all, we can obey someone because we're afraid of them. Right? We're afraid of the consequences of what might happen. Or we can obey someone because we want to get a reward. But neither of these are true with honor. Honor is more than that. It is respect. It is value. The word here for honor means to place a high value on something. It's actually often used in Greek and even in the Bible to refer to a money price. 
that if you place a high value on something, if you would pay a lot for something, you honor it. This is the idea that Paul is getting at with the way children are to honor their parents. Now, I'm not suggesting that you give your parents money to tell them that you love them. But you place their value above the value of other things. Paul is commanding children to place a high value on their parents. And as I said, this is referenced first in the Bible in the fifth commandment. And God knows that we all live in a web of relationships. Siblings, parents, children, neighbors, co-workers, bosses, underlings. And so this fifth commandment has a broader context than merely just fathers and mothers. It is the way in which we are to treat others within those web of relationships. That we are to honor our superiors. That we are to respect our inferiors. It gives us a command of how we are to treat other people. But you see, it's grounded in the relationship of the parent to the child. That is to be the clearest expression of valuing someone else. And so we go from there out into all of our other relationships, all throughout our day, all throughout our life. There is an implication that this command gives us a pattern for all of life. Now again, this command is not an option. There is no asterisk next to the word honor. It is a direct and a continuing command. And actually it presents a greater challenge than the command to obey because this is a command that really does not have a time limitation on it. There comes a point in time when you will grow up and move out of your parents' home. There comes a point in time where you will choose the kind of car you want to buy and you don't need your parents' permission. There comes a time when you can cook for dinner what you want to eat for dinner and eat dessert when you want to eat it and you don't need your parents' permission. There is a time when that comes. I know for many of you, you wish that time was right now. But I say be patient. There's a trade-off for that kind of freedom. But the command to honor your parents is a command that continues as we go into our own homes, as we start our own families. We must honor our fathers and mothers. And this can be very difficult. What if our parents don't live in a way that is honoring to the Lord? What about if we disagree about certain things? Well, I think what Paul would advise us here is that we are called to honor our parents unless we are to disobey God in honoring them. What that means is, is that there may come a time in which you may need to respectfully disagree with your parents. You may even need to respectfully tell them you think they are wrong in this instance. And when that happens, you should have scripture to guide you. Not feelings, not hopes. You see, we are called to be respectful and honoring of our parents throughout all of our lives. And that's because there is a promise, Paul says, that comes with it. 
This is the first commandment with a promise, Paul says. In the fifth commandment, we are given a promise that we will live long in the land. And here Paul repeats the language of Exodus 20 and of Deuteronomy, where he says, you would honor your parents that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, God knows that we will be blessed by honoring our parents. That's why he puts it in the command, because it is an application of a broader principle. God is telling us in this specific instance that's very practical, that the way for us to live a life of blessing is under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we live a blessed life. Paul is not saying, be nice to your parents and I'll send you a new car. Be nice to your parents and money will drop from heaven. You'll never get sick. You'll always be happy. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is sharing with us the general principle of life. That the way to be happy, to be blessed, is to follow the Lord Jesus. And he takes this general principle and applies it to the very specific practical example of the family. There is no magic here. It is a general principle that we follow. The second thing that we see is Paul now turning to the parents. We see this in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul specifically addresses fathers. Now, I know at first glance as we look at this, There are a lot of ladies over the age of 18 that are saying, that's good, I get a free pass. Paul's commanding the kids, Paul's commanding the dads, doesn't say anything about mom, I get a free pass. Sorry, that's not how it works. You see, Paul is beginning with fathers because he has just told us at the end of chapter 5 that there is a hierarchy of relationships within marriage. Fathers are to take the lead in the responsibility with children because when one has authority, it comes with responsibility. And because God has given a measure of authority to husbands, they have a greater measure of responsibility. And so mothers are not exempt from this command. They are subsumed under it. They are to operate on the same principles within the family. And so Paul tells us of two duties, two directives to parents. One is negative, and the other is positive. Now notice that Paul begins with the restraint. Do not provoke your children to anger. I think the way Paul speaks is supremely wise, because he knows the heart of sinners. He knows our sinful tendency is to ruin what God has given for good. If God gives us authority over children, our sinful tendency is to abuse that authority. It is to exasperate our children. It is to anger our children. It is to use something given for good for evil. And so God wants it to be clear that he wants us to care for our families in the same way that he cares for his And so he says, do not provoke to anger. 
Now, this is a very interesting word in the Greek. It's only one word. And so it's not as if the word here is provoke. And so we cannot escape this command by saying, well, we don't operate like siblings do, where they poke each other intentionally. I'm not provoking and poking. No, that's really not what this word means. What this one verb that covers this set of meanings means is do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them. Do not push them to resentment. Do not act in such a way that they are legitimately exasperated or provoked. Now, there is a context for this. I am not telling the young people to go home now and say, Mom... You're provoking me to anger by making me eat my vegetables. The pastor said you can't do that. Do not say, Dad, I feel so exasperated because this is my bedtime. I think it should be much later. That's not what God is saying here. Because you see, the whole idea of being provoked is in the sense of being undeservedly provoked. It's used throughout the Old Testament to refer to Israel's provoking of God. In Deuteronomy 31, we read, And in the days to come, evil will befall you, because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking Him, same word, to anger through the work of your hands. In Psalm 78, we hear that Israel has provoked God by seeking idols. They've moved God to jealousy by seeking idols. You see, this is the kind of provocation that Paul is talking about. Now, what does that mean practically? Let me give you some thoughts. First, it means unreasonableness in our parenting. Are we asking something beyond a child's capacity to do? Are we loading down children with too many demands? Now, this is a great temptation, especially in our society, because our society tells you, you are not a good parent unless you spend six to eight hours every day with homework with your child, and you have them in sports, and you have them in ballet, and you have them in Boy Scouts, and you have them in all these other extracurricular activities, so that you feel like you are spending the entire day in the car driving them around. Unless you prepare them in all of these ways, all of the time, you're being a bad parent. Now what God is actually telling us is we need to step back a bit from that. We shouldn't load down our children. We shouldn't exasperate them. We should allow them to be kids. Not to be unreasonable. A second way that we can view this is being inconsistent. Now, We all have an innate sense of justice. And when that innate sense of justice is violated, we hear the words come from a child that I swear come on the day of birth. That's not fair. Now, we have to understand what we mean by fair and inconsistency here. It is not that you can trumpet out fair at any time you want as a trump card to get whatever you want from your parents. But it is another thing if if our children act in a certain way and they're disciplined 
and two months later they act in the same way and they're not. It's another thing when one child does something and is disciplined and another child does the same thing and is not. Children are people. They can see that kind of inconsistency and injustice. Now, I realize that for parents this is not easy. I stand at the head of the line and confess. I'm horribly inconsistent when I'm tired. When I've had a bad day. When I don't want to deal with things. And the only thing that we can do is strive to follow the Lord and His Word. To ask forgiveness from our children and to move on. We can't undo life. But the call here is to be reasonable and to be consistent. A third thing that this means is neglect. It has often been said that the worst thing in the world is not hate, but rather neglect or ignoring someone. This was one of the great sins of King David. He neglected his son Absalom. Now, if you know the story, I ask you, how well did that turn out for David? His son took up arms against him and tried to steal his kingdom from him. Fourthly, it is in finding fault. Now, it is one thing to encourage children to do better. It is one thing to be critical with them so that they will improve. It is another thing to constantly find fault. And I think the greatest antidote for this is to find ways to acknowledge the good that is in children. To acknowledge the success that they have so that you can find fault when that is necessary, but it is balanced with something positive as well. Paul is balanced here in his directive to parents. He started with the negative, do not provoke, and now he moves to the positive, encouraging. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul not only wants us to avoid the negative, he wants to bring a strong contrast in. Bring them up. You see, because life is about more than simply avoiding mistakes. We must be active. We must be positive. And so Paul starts with a reminder of the relationship between parents and children. It starts with gentleness. He says, bring them up. We must remember that parenting is not just a job. It is a relationship. And so the word here for bring them up is the same word that is found in Ephesians 5.29 and is translated there to nourish or to feed. You see, it is put together in the context of cherishing one's own body or one's wife. And that's what Paul is telling us to do with children, to bring them up with gentleness, to cherish them. Now, the next two words that Paul uses, discipline and instruction, are words that I think almost all of us have memorized and don't even know where they come from. It's from the old King James translation to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's where that comes from. From Ephesians 6.4, the King James translation. 
Now, I dare say many of us have said this and have maybe even prayed this, that children would be brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And if someone asks to us, what does that mean? We say, well, I'm not really sure. The Bible says it, I think. So let's take a look at this and see what Paul means behind these words. The word here that Paul used for discipline or nurture in the old King James, it means training, training of children. It actually, this word has in its root the word for child. It is child rearing. And it means to provide guidance for living to children. Now, this does not mean it will be easy either for the parent or for the kid. Because this is the exact same word that is used in Hebrews 12 to talk about the discipline of the Lord that is at sometimes grievous and not pleasant. Sometimes training is hard and painful. You know the gym phrase, right? No pain, no gain. It applies in the spiritual life as well. And the main means that we are to use in this training, in this discipline, in this child rearing, is the word of God. Paul tells us this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. He tells us what scripture is. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. In righteousness. Same word. Training. The main means that we use to train our children is the word of God. The second of these two words, instruction or admonition, has behind it the idea of placing something before the mind. And that because of this, it often carries the connotation of warning. That's what an admonition is, of warning our children. This means sometimes we have to confront our children. Now, this is not fun. I'm going to let the kids in here on a secret. You know when mom or dad says, this hurts me more than it hurts you? And you say in your head, yeah, right? It really is true. Because really what moms and dads want really is just peace and quiet. We're tired. There's a lot of things we got to do. There's a lot of pressure from outside the home. We like things to just be easy at home. And so it's difficult to warn our children. It's difficult to confront them, to tell them they can't do something, that it would be so much easier in our lives if we just let them do it. But you see, Paul is telling us that God has given us an authority and a duty. And we have a perfect example in Scripture of a holy man who failed to confront his sons, who failed to warn them. Eli was the holiest of men. And his sons were wicked beyond all belief. So wicked that God rained down punishment upon them because Eli never confronted his sons. Now, we should be primarily focused in this warning on spiritual things, eternal things, things of consequence. 
The third thing that I want us to see briefly and in conclusion is the goal of the family that God has established. There is a reason that the Lord gives us all of these instructions. And first and foremost, it is so that the family will be a place where the gospel is heard. We need to know that to follow His word will mean blessings and encouragement. We need to understand that a happy home is not the main goal of God's commands. Notice how over and over again in this passage, the commands are linked to the Lord. We are to obey in the Lord. We are to honor because of the Lord's command. We are to bring up our children and encourage them so that they learn of the Lord. The Lord wants the truth of His Word to be passed down from generation to generation. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. That is the ultimate responsibility of parents. Fathers are to be evangelists. They are to be shepherds. They are to be prophets of the Word of God in their home. And children are to understand that obedience is not an end in and of itself. It is easy to think that. And it may even be that the actions of our parents tend toward us in that direction. But God has called you to obedience and to honor so that you might understand His truth. If we had perfect homes that were neat and tidy and quiet and in order, but they were without the gospel, then we would have lost to Satan. Satan is not primarily concerned with how neat your home is or how still your children sit. He's concerned with whether Jesus is found in your home. And we should be too. Lastly, it is not just that the family is a place where the gospel is to be heard. It is a place where the gospel can be seen. Because the family is also a theater of the gospel. To be seen by others. Now, no one likes fakes, do they? No one likes something that poses as something else. You all may know that in my life, that has the significant uh, description of being the fact that I absolutely detest fake Oreos. They pretend to be Oreos. They sort of look like Oreos. But they don't taste at all like Oreos. And I'm disappointed as soon as I eat them. They're fake. Now, if you think I can get that upset about fake Oreos, imagine how upset we should get about fake families. About families that aren't seeking to honor the Lord, who are just seeking to get window dressing. Public perception. So we do the world no favors at all by striving solely for good manners in our children and well-adjusted families. You know, what we often worry about as Christians 
is that our homes would be thermometers for the world outside. And the worse the world gets out there, the more problems we expect in our homes. And what Paul is saying is that your homes are not to be thermometers. They are to be thermostats. You know what a thermostat is, right? It's the thing you turn to set the temperature of the home. Like today when it got cold. Well, at least cold for Houston. You change the thermostat to make it warmer. And it changes the environment. That's what Christian families are to be. We are to be the means by which society is changed. We don't reflect society. We change society through the gospel. Now, this will not be easy. But difficult is not impossible. We must be ready to serve the Lord in every area of our lives. And the time to start is now. It is true. Time goes by very swiftly. Start now with making your home, your family, a place where the gospel is heard and where the gospel is seen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this word. We thank you, Lord, that even when we fall short and we sin, that you have given us the opportunity for repentance and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would bless us. Encourage us as we follow you. Help us as children to be obedient and to honor our parents. Help us as parents to not exasperate our children, but to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.